Hello, I'm Terry Schultz, and I am channeling Brussels, getting newsmakers, movers, and shakers to lose the lingo, burst out of the Brussels bubble, and have real conversations about the critical foreign and security policies shaping our world. It's the rest of the story, beyond the few seconds of sound bites that make it into the news. This week's Channeling Brussels is brought to you by the Atlantic Council. And for this week's show, I wanted to revisit a gentleman whose acquaintance I made for the first time on election night. Michael Kubikis is the chairman of the Belgian chapter of Republicans Overseas, an organization founded in 2013, not to be confused with Republicans Abroad, which does not have a chapter here in Brussels. It's also not officially tied to the Republican National Committee. Kubikis was quite the fixture before the election as the only person openly representing candidate Trump at the various debates and events that were held around Brussels. And Michael Kubikis is quite possibly the most optimistic man I know. When I interviewed him early on the night of November 8th, he told me Donald Trump was going to win the election. He had believed that since the beginning of the Republican primary season. I confess to having raised an eyebrow. Now Kubikis tells me he believes the relationships between President Trump in Europe and President Trump and NATO could well be stronger than with previous presidents. You can't see eyebrows in radio, of course. But Michael Kubikis takes all skepticism in stride. So, Michael, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. We first met on um, election night when you were the one and only person in Brussels who would show up to debates with, with Democrats abroad. Um, just to sort of introduce people to you, um, why was it that you were the only guy? I mean, were, were people, were Republicans who live abroad in Europe so um, just so unwilling to go out and, and publicly declare themselves as supporters of now President Trump? Well, uh, indeed, well, well, so first, thanks for having me. Um, but indeed, there is a um, a certain reluctance on the part of some Republicans to come forward and 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 discuss and 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 state, for example, if they if they agree with some of what Mr. Trump says, or even to express an opinion. Uh, and on the other hand, there are people who, for other reasons, can't can't speak because of, uh, for example, a lot of our Republicans are. Uh, are, are in the military. Great, a very large percentage of the of the military people who are stationed abroad in countries like Belgium are um, conservative and supporting the Republican side of the debate. And in fact, I would say very few people support Hillary Clinton. But because of their their position and because of their their service, they're not able to come forward. Um, so there are a lot of Republicans who support, uh, who did not support Hillary Clinton, and 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 very likely voted for for Mr. Trump. On the other hand, uh, among the civilians, there it is a, there is a big difference. There was a big difference of opinion. It was divisive. There were people in in the party. It's not a secret who who were pretty adamantly opposed to Mr. Trump. Personally, I was from the from the very beginning. I was a supporter of Mr. Trump. As you know, I wrote. Uh, a letter to him um, at the very beginning of the primary campaign where I outlined a couple of my ideas and where I was quite enthusiastic and I was quite convinced that he would win and that he would be, be president for uh, a lot of the uh, reasons in my analysis that came true. I thought there was a new movement and indeed there was one. But indeed, uh, 
the, 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 the underlying reason of why many people are reluctant is because of the demonization of Mr. Trump and his positions in the European press. He's been distorted and mischaracterized and uh, many of his things taken out of context. And there's also a, a, a cultural disconnect where they don't really understand uh, this kind of uh, communication, this kind of um, discourse. Uh, so they, I, I've had people say to me that they think he's crazy, and you know they'll they'll play me a five second snippet of of something that uh, appears on YouTube, and they say, look, he's crazy. And of course, if you listen to it much longer, and if you know the context of the issue that he's talking about, it's not crazy at all. He's actually addressing a very important issue that a lot of people are ignoring and that or that a lot of people feel strongly about and that is not being addressed by others. But I've, oh. I've talked to you before about my own discomfort as a woman about some of the things he said about women yes. and, and you were you understand that. Yes, I, I, I do. Um, I, I mean, it, it's, there's two sides to it. Obviously, the, the this kind of talk is not meant for it's certainly not meant for public consumption, but it's not. But it is by no means um, rare. I mean, I wouldn't say that all men talk like that, but there is a significant men, number of men who talk privately between themselves in this way about women in a denigrating way. This is this is not something specific to Mr. Trump. So I don't excuse Which doesn't it. make it more acceptable. It doesn't make it more acceptable. But but. If we said, but it, but what it doesn't do is disqualify him from serving, because if that disqualified him from serving, then it would certainly disqualify Bill Clinton and many other people, such as John F. Kennedy and others, who have behaved far worse towards women than than Mr. Trump has been accused of. But so, here in Europe, they generally are more uh, tolerant of of certain types of behavior and. Um... Why do you think that they weren't willing to let to let this pass? Well, it's very selective, isn't it? It's select. It's it's a, it's one of those very typical cases of selective outrage. When my guy does it, it's okay. When your guy does it, it's not okay. <laughs> so, uh, but they were uh, willing it, to let Clinton you, to let you remember, Clinton off. You on remember it. when Bill Clinton was accused of mistreating women? Uh, the the argument from the Democrats was, uh, this has nothing to do with public with his public performance of his duties. That was very much the Democratic line. When all of a sudden it's a guy from the other party doing it, then they, they change their tune. So I think it's very much the point is that they don't agree with his policy. So when he does something outrageous, they're not willing to forgive it. So one of the things that I was interested in following up with you on since election night was whether after the election people felt like then it was okay to say they were a Trump supporter, that if we had debates now, would there be more guys than just... Um, Michael Kubikas, who's willing to, who are willing to show up and and um, debate the policies of the new administration. Well, I don't know because I don't know that. Uh, I mean, certainly the winners attract um, <laughs> plenty of people to uh, who, who who are Johnny Come Latelys to the um, to the team. But um, a, a, but but I don't think that that's really. I don't think it's really over yet. I still think that. Um, Mr. Trump has to uh, is, it has to nail down some real positive achievements. I think that that's when when the cows will really come home is when um, when we start seeing economic growth, when we start seeing jobs, uh, the job growth, when we start seeing um, uh, improved relations, when we start seeing the real the fruit of his policies. Uh, the travel ban is not one of those things that's endearing him to anyone here. <laughs> 
uh, well, I, I, I understand. I understand. Of course, yes, I read the news too. <laughs> um, but uh, that was also that's also a, a, a very typical case of of misinformation and um, taking a, taking a few things out of context because that was by no means a, a ban on Muslims. That's how it is being characterized, and uh, and many people wouldn't support that, myself included. This is this the, the if you actually look at the number of people that were affected and what it was targeted and the reasoning. So really paying close attention to it, you would see that it's not that it has been mischaracterized. And secondly, the biggest and I think the most outrageous thing is that what he's done is perfectly legal, perfectly legal. There is there there is a law on the books that was signed uh, by the, under the Truman administration, passed by Democratic Congress which gives the President of the United States to, to, to block entry to anybody into the United States, I'm talking about foreign nationals, um, for any reason whatsoever, any uh, means of selecting them whatsoever if they think it is in the best interest of the United States and if they're, uh, for example, safety, for the safety of the American people. He has the complete right to block entry to anybody he sees fit. Uh, there is a question. There is a question about whether green card holders should have been included in that, etc. So some of the details right. and the dual and also, nationals, which include a lot of Europeans. Uh, and yeah, yeah. So there, there, and and there are also some uh, questions about uh, the abruptness of it. But I think that uh, this administration is doing things in its way. Mr. Trump is is doing things in, in his way. He's not doing them in the standard way. So I think he's going to be changing uh, the, the, the standard way of doing business. So I think a lot of the criticism is coming because this is not what we are expecting, uh, how, how we expect changes to be implemented. And so, there is the, so there's a lot of criticism based on process, which I don't think is uh, really to the point. Um. One of the other criticisms here in Brussels coming from the outgoing ambassadors was that they had not gotten any phone calls from the transition team asking for, you know, tips on what the new, the incoming ambassadors might want to do first, who they should meet, sort of what the burning issues were that the U.S. administration might want to take up first. And, um, you don't. You don't think that's strange. You think that's uh, that's perfectly perfectly normal. No, I don't think that's strange at all. I don't know if it's perfectly normal. It's perfectly uh, acceptable because I, I think Mr. Trump has uh, his own advisors that are well versed in uh, in the situations and will probably give him a perspective which is far more useful to his to his objectives. Um, and you think he has people I, who are who are well attuned to what's happening in Europe. Oh, I'm sure he does, but uh, but they may not share the opinion, the same opinions as the uh, as the people in the State Department. And remember that m many of the you know many of the ambassadors in European countries are actually political employees, so they are very closely tied to the Democratic Party. So they're not likely to be people who are going to have information that's useful for his agenda. Well, why would there not be information? Whether or not, I mean, there's uh, there's Democratic and Republican. Uh, 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 political ideas, but there are also U.S. interests, and why would these people not not have useful um, well, useful information about U.S. interests? Well, let me tell you a little anecdote because because actually this really goes to the heart of the of really the reliability of the State Department uh, for let's say conservative and Republican presidents. It's not a secret since 
for decades. It is a fact that um, some presidents have had have been almost in a state of conflict with their own state departments who are hostile to their agenda. And I can tell you the anecdote. I don't remember the exact president or the exact um, country involved, but at a certain moment, uh, there was a president talking with, or, or or could have been a secretary of state talking with an ambassador from one of, from a from a country which was a trouble spot in the world, and the secretary or the president said to him, "Are you the United States ambassador to country X, or are you country X's ambassador to the United States?" I'm having a problem to understand what you're telling me. <laughs> you see, it's the, the the problem of going native. So I think that there's quite a few. There, there, there certainly. Um, the level of Democrats and Republicans living in Europe, uh, I have found that many Democrats certainly identify with European perspectives more than they identify with the perspective of their own country. And certainly when it comes to Republicans, they're they're rather hostile. And you've lived here for decades, Michael. I I would find it very odd. I would find it very odd that somebody like President Obama would rely on the advice of a Republican appointee. He might listen to him out of politeness. But I don't think that the information will be something that he will find uh, very useful for his policy objectives. Okay, and but certainly, but I, and that's lived, certainly the case. That, that I think that goes both ways. True, but you've lived here for decades, um, yeah. so you would be one of those people who've assimilated to Europe and aren't planning to go anywhere. Um, of course. Well, that's I, I'm I'm a member of Republicans overseas. Um, and of course, I'm not in the. I don't work for the State Department, <laughs> and I'm not hostile to President Trump's agenda. I'm friendly to it. <laughs> um, but you, and indeed, you 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 raise, uh, of course, the the, the interest, the, the important point uh, that uh, President Trump relies on advice from different people, and 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 Republicans overseas. We we exist in many countries in the world. And we are indeed, as you point out, people who have lived for decades uh, in these countries. We have uh, contacts at all different levels. We, we, we know political leaders. We know business leaders. Uh, we know the culture. We know the political environment. And uh, we and, and as, I, as I mentioned to you at a, uh, in previous conversations, we've, uh, you know, Republicans overseas has has uh Provided information to the, to to the to the transition team in some uh, in some ways, we've we've um, so, but I, I I'm sure that they get information from a variety of sources. So when when people say that they didn't have sort of a, a shadow State Department in place, um, or a shadow Pentagon or a shadow NSC, um, like like other campaigns often do, um, maybe they did. It was just uh, people we hadn't heard of before, people like you. <laughs> Um, that 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 might be exaggerating a little bit our role, um, but Republicans overseas is quite serious about wanting to help the president and we uh, uh, and the, the next administration, and of course we 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 are happy to serve and we're happy to do what we can to help out. We know about the political parties here because we have relationships with 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 them in different countries. So different countries in Europe have have many different parties and. We have a good view of them, and you know we, we we are happy to share that information with the with the administration, and we have uh, contacts that are on a different level than let's say the, the at, at, than a formal level that the State Department would have. We have like much more person to person kind of contacts. What kind of um, politicians in Europe are, do you think might be 
might be people that uh, would have been ignored by the Obama administration or shunned by the Obama administration that that President Trump might be willing to speak to? Uh, it's it's hard to say. I can't I can't I certainly can't I can't speak for him. I just know if you I mean, it's I think it's public knowledge and you can see that, um, for example, when when Mr. Uh, Trump took a phone call from the president of Taiwan, that was not expected. That was not according to, let's say, the unwritten rules. You're not supposed to talk to the president of Taiwan because China will find it provocative or whatever. Uh, but he doesn't care about that rule, and he thinks that that rule is is well. I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to read his mind, but uh, but for for someone who supports the Taiwanese people, I don't think it's fair to them. I personally don't think it's fair to them. So when he took the call, I cheered it. I thought that's a great move. Um, and similarly, there are. I won't name any names, but I'll say that there are people whose views uh, in, in, in some political quarters are mischaracterized and that they are demonized, just as Mr. Trump is, unfairly. And they do have interesting and important things to say. That doesn't mean that everything that they say is 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 uh, acceptable. It doesn't even say it doesn't even you don't have to agree with anything that they say. Uh, but it's it's a question of information. So um, I think it is. A, no, I'm not going to name any names. I'll just say that I think that 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 President Trump takes a fresh look at this at at the political landscape in Europe. And that is refreshing and useful because on a general level, I can tell you that it is extremely unhealthy to keep people out of the, let's say, to have these uh, certain kinds of walls uh, where certain people and certain ideas are simply not acceptable to talk about in polite public. But, but let's be I think honest. That that's very, okay. I think that that's very, um, that's very unhealthy because that in itself, uh, it, it, it helps extremist elements uh, to gain popularity and influence. And we are against, I am personally against, and I believe that uh, the Republican Party and the conservative movement and the new administration are all against extremism. And so we, we don't want, we, we don't want, we, we fight against things that strengthen extremism. And one of the things that strengthens extremism is when you shut out certain concerns of the people from polite political debate. But I think you, you will have different lists of who extremists are, because, of course, when when President Trump was elected, that yeah. made Europeans afraid that people like Hert Wilders, Marine Le Pen. Um, well, I, I would, would take the conversation back just to talk about you, you talk about extremists. You know, Nancy Pelosi calls uh, Judge Gorsuch, Gorsuch an extremist. <laughs> so. Um, I don't know any serious person who thinks that uh, Judge Gorsuch, the, that's the man that uh, President Trump has, uh, is going to propose for the U.S. Supreme Court to replace Judge Scalia. Right. Yeah, uh, he is a... <laughs> but that's my a, point. There will be very different lists of so who, who's well, an extremist. Yeah. Right, right. So... Uh, so uh, you really have to judge who is, who is, call, who is the one who's calling, uh, who's calling names. But uh, who, these are the people who are called extremists here in Europe, who are considered extremists here in Europe. 
Yeah, they'd probably call they call Mr. Trump an extremist. They do. They, I, I mean, I, I, I don't. And Mr. Doubt Trump it. is not an extremist. So not in, not by a long shot. So. So who do you think he'll be making he, he he'll be taking calls from? Who do you think he'll be making calls to? I think he'll take calls from a lot. I think he's going to be taking calls from a lot of people. Well, look, what about Nigel Farage? Okay. Right. <laughs> All right. Is Nigel Farage an extremist? If Nigel Farage is extremist, then 52% of the population of the UK is extremist. And that's extreme. That's an extremist statement. That's a stupid statement, but it's an extremist statement. So people of the likes of Nigel Farage will be will be mainstreamed with um the, uh, with the Trump administration you think oh, it, it's already I mean that's in the news it's already <laughs> well that's true he's been seen side by side with him <laughs> there's quite nothing a bit. new about that I mean he's Nigel people like Nigel Farage who is somebody that is vilified in certain quarters uh and even half of the population I mean look that this is an this is the interesting phenomenon of the election and how how people got everything so wrong about brexit and about trump's election is people who supported Trump and people who supported brexit brexit were called stupid racist extremist and so forth but when fifty if 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 fifty two percent of the population of a european country is is extremist by that definition, the problem is the definition. See my point? Well, and they are gaining in they're they're gaining in uh, pre-election polls in countries like the Netherlands and in countries like France. Um, okay, so is Gert Wilders going to be considered an extremist by the Trump administration? I can't speak for the Trump administration, so I can't I I can't comment on that. Okay. Um, do you think Marine Le Pen will be within will will be within the arena of of acceptable partners? I mean, this is the fear. I, uh, it's, a, it's a hard question. It's a hard question to answer because, look, the National Front, we know what the, I mean, we know, the, uh, now I'm speaking, I, I'm not speaking for the Trump administration. Understood. I speak as a commentator of, my, I'm sp saying my own opinion here. And I think that the National Front, as it was founded by Jean-Marie Le Pen, is, it, it, is an extremist movement. It's a neo-Nazi movement. I think that the National Front, as a as a brand, if you will, if we're talking about things in the, in in the ter in terminology of brands, is toxic. Uh, the party of Marine Le Pen. Again, I'm speaking as an analyst. They claim to have addressed or expunged uh, the most uh, many, or if not most of the most objectionable aspects of the old National Front. But I personally, my personal opinion is that I don't think it makes any difference. Because the party is too damaged, I don't. I I would not want to be associated with the National Front. I won't go through the, all of the uh, European um, heads of state or government who who may or may not be considered suitable allies. But um, let's talk about President Trump's potential nominee for the ambassador to the EU. And just in the last week. This became very hot news here in Brussels, and European parliamentary group leaders spoke out very forcefully against um, Professor Malik, saying that he should not be welcomed to Brussels, that he should be already declared persona non grata, not even having been nominated yet. When you hear this kind of animosity, uh, d does, it, does it make you um, pessimistic that EU relations are going to have smooth sailing under the new president? 
Oh boy, that's a, that's very hard. You're asking me to predict the future. I prefer to predict the future from the from the future. <laughs> if, if you ask me that question in a year, I'm, I'll have a very good answer for but you. But what does it say? I mean, we've never seen this before. It's, yeah, I've been I here ten it, years. I haven't seen anything like this. Yeah, I think it's unprecedented. Uh, I, as uh, I believe, it, it, it's it's kind of endemic of a certain kind of re re reaction of a lot of people to the new Trump administration is that they kind of jumped the gun, you know, as, as uh, you know, there were people that wanted to impeach, that were talking about impeaching President Trump before he was inaugurated. And Mr. Uh, Moloch hasn't been appointed as the ambassador yet. So I think that uh, whatever statements are being made are premature by the European leaders. Um, and I don't know what their motivation is. Uh, I suspect that their that their uh, blunt, frank exchange of their opinions are counterproductive for even their own purposes. Um, I don't think that those those statements uh, help. I'm not I'm talking regardless of what Mr. Moloch said or may not have said. Um, I'm not an expert on that and I'm not uh, at, uh, not, not not going to comment on what he has said. But I'll just say that those it seems that they are that they they are not helping the situation by jumping the gun. I think that whatever uh, whatever they do, they should wait until an ambassador is actually selected and appointed. And then they can, and then of course, then it would be appropriate for them to express their opinion. But again, you, you, you mentioned about the unprecedented part. Indeed, um, it kind of is, un, it would be uh, unprecedented uh, if an ambassador uh, to the EU from the United States uh, was not accepted. Their credentials were not accepted, or something like that. I don't know. Uh, right. Yeah. It, it, exactly. They. I think uh, Presidents Juncker and Tusk, and um, uh, possibly also with a vote from Mogherini, um, decide on whether an ambassador is accepted or not. Yeah. And as so far I, as I know, they've never they've never rejected anyone. Yeah, and I. I it would be uh, an extraordinary. I mean, regardless of what somebody says. Uh, that as an action would be incredibly provocative, I think, and would and and of course, you know, it's like it's like with, it's like with, with any kind of a relationship, there are two sides, and every action comes with a reaction. So, um, if they 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 would have to take into account into their calculation what would be the likely response of the Trump administration, and. Um, uh, and it's also I use the, the the analogy of a relationship of any contentious relationship or a relationship that's going through a contentious phase. You may not be able to control what the other person says or does, but you can certainly control what you say or do. And so I think in diplomacy, it's probably a very good rule between allies because Europeans and Americans are close allies. We've been close allies for decades. We share so much, uh, so many common values um, that uh, um, measured responses are always more preferable to um, confrontational ones. Hmm, that's very interesting coming from, <laughs> coming from someone um, Defending um, uh, a president who who seems to be acting somewhat impetuously, doesn't he? Uh, in what, can you be more precise? Well, more, even you have it, admitted that some of these policies seem rather abrupt. Well, no, the, the, no. I talked about the implementation. 
I, and uh, every every administration, incoming administration, has growing pains as they, you know, running. The United States is the most powerful and most complex country in the world, uh, and there is a uh, for for any and every person who takes control takes power. There is a there is a learning curve. Okay, so there there is um, a number of details to be worked out. So uh, I don't. I, I, I think some of the some of the criticism is just based on that kind of that 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 is a, is a consequence of the of the working out the details and and the kinks in the processes. Um, some of the things which you're talking about being impetuous, I suppose, could be seen uh, are actually policy changes. So there, that's 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 quite a bit different. There is brusqueness, and then of course there are. Uh, a, a, a major policy shift. That's two different things. Um, so I, I don't think that uh, that, uh, that I, I don't think that at this moment that there is justification for a kind of a harsh counter reaction from European leaders. I don't. I, I think they it would be much more advisable for them to to wait and see. And now we know that Mike Pence is coming sooner rather than later. Um, he'll be the first, uh, the first, the highest ranking member of the, the new administration to visit Europe. Um, uh -huh. Do you think this will be a, a calming, um, this will have a calming effect on, on sort of the, the agitation that, that we see in Brussels over, over uh, the new administration? One would, hope, one, would hope, one would hope so. I mean, Mike Pence is a great guy, and Mike Pence is a... Uh, is uh, one of the most admired uh, political men in the United States. He's he's uh, um, an excellent uh, an excellent leader. He is he has an excellent mind. He has an excellent record. Uh, he's a very reliable conservative. He it, he's shown uh, in his uh, in his tenure as governor that he is a very effective uh, leader that can produce results, and he is. Let's say also he has a very moderate and very easy way of communicating with people. So I, I, I can only think that it's a positive thing. Um, but I, I, I've never heard anybody saying anything that other than he, that he's a great guy who who's going to be a great vice president. Well, we'll see. Um, so you're uh, you're um, keeping your fingers crossed that things are going to be, um, despite as it, how it seems at the off at the outset that um, U.S.-EU relations, relations are going to be strong and, and can even be improved? I, I've, I always say whenever I, people ask me this, is that it, every challenge is an opportunity. I think that the, the, the links, that the bonds between the, the European countries and the United States can be stronger and better than ever if, uh, if people take the right decisions. And uh, and and deal with the situation in the right way. And one way is to the, the bad way is to is to let's say react emotionally. Uh, another way is to ignore or pretend that very serious problems don't exist. Um, so when we talk about things like NATO, I think NATO could end up being stronger than it ever was after uh, after Mr. Trump and the European leaders reach a new understanding about uh, about funding, for example, I think it's going to be stronger than ever. Um, as far as the, rela the, other, the diplomatic relations as well, I, traditionally, traditionally, every 
democratic country has learned to accept and to with let's say openly and with 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 um with warmth and acceptance the the leaders who have been democratically elected let's uh i mean it, it let's make it very clear mr trump was elected through a democratic process and european leaders worship uh, um cherish democracy they ought to cherish the 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 uh, the results of that election and show demonstrated by warmly welcoming Mr. Trump and un, and accepting that uh, I think they have no choice but to accept that there that there is a new administration. It's part of the peaceful transition of power that is the hallmark of all of our countries, European and American and elsewhere, other democracies in the world. You know, uh, uh, Canada changes hands from conservative to Republican. Australia changes hands. Brazil changes hands. And the new government, we welcome them. We say, welcome, Mr. Democratically elected leader. Let's find a modus vivendi. Let's find a modus, a, a way of working together and finding our common interest in working together. And, that, and that's my hope for what, uh, what the European leaders, uh, how they react to the new administration in Washington. And I think if they do so, again, I think the relationship is going to be stronger than ever. That was Michael Kubikis, chairman of the Belgian chapter of Republicans Overseas, the counterpart to Democrats abroad. He says membership is on the way up since people feel like it's more acceptable to be a Trump supporter in Europe now. Thanks to the Atlantic Council for underwriting this episode of Channeling Brussels. I'm Terry Schultz. Join me next time.